are wearing clean socks. And however you come in, <laughs> we're glad that you're here. Um, I, I made a beautiful list of goals late and have not worked on a single one yet. So 51 more weeks, right? That's how we go. Well, for the next few weeks uh, leading up to our up towards our anniversary, which is the first week of February, we're going to be looking at some parables found in Mark 4. And so if you've got your Bible or your device, go ahead and uh, cue it up for Mark 4. Parables are a fascinating thing, right? Like, they're present in the Old Testament, they're present in Greek literature, but but Jesus is kind of like the OG on parables. Like, he uses them better than anybody. He, he uses them more than anybody. Uh, and, and since, like, we have, we have fables and, and things like that, but nobody quite used parables to teach like, like Jesus. And I think that's part of why they're a little bit tricky uh, to handle sometimes. Originally, a parable could be a proverb, a riddle, a metaphor, all of these different things. But what we see from Jesus is he's usually talking about everyday life, in his context, and using everyday life to illustrate the reality of God's kingdom, right? So it's common things that he and and people like him would encounter, and he gives them deeper meaning, partially so that when people went back to their common things, they would remember this deeper meaning. They'd they'd go back to remembering that. And so this morning, we're going to look at Mark 4, 1 through 9, and this is a parable that I think Okay, I think if you said, what is your favorite parable, someone would say, no one's ever asked me that before. And then the second thing they would say is, uh, maybe if it counts, the, the Good Samaritan. And then after the Good Samaritan, I think people would say this one. And the reason I think people would say this one is because Jesus ex- explains what it means. Like, usually we don't have an explanation, and so people wonder and 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 different meanings and all this, but in, in this particular one, he goes to some length to explain the 12 disciples what the parable of the kingdom of God means and what these different soils mean. And we, we see this in three of the four gospels where he does this. Jesus is clear in Mark 4, 13 through 20 about the meaning of the different soils. And so I encourage you this week, spend some time in that. Pray through it, read through it, ask God what God wants to reveal to you about that. But this morning, we're not really going to talk about it. This morning, I want to keep our attention on these first nine verses and pretend we don't know what follows. So if you have never heard the gospel of Mark before, you are at the advantage right now. And if you have, I want you to just imagine this anew, okay? Mark 1 through 9, again Jesus began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there. While the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a sower went to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other sea fell on rocky soil, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, 
And since it had no root, it withered away. Other sea fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So when looking at that parable, uh, what do you know it as? What is the title of it? Like Jesus doesn't say, and now let me teach you this parable called, and give it a title, right? But what, what do you know this parable as? Parable of the sower, yeah. Somebody put that in my Bible. I don't know who, who I'm assuming who he is, but he, someone put it in my Bible. The parable of the sower. I think it's fascinating that we spend all our time thinking about the soil, but it's supposedly about the sower, right? That's interesting. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, this one is on the sower. But throughout church history, people have kind of seen, oh, this is about the one who sows. That's what this parable is about. And then we read it, and then we go and analyze the soil. We're not wrong, but I find that fascinating. So we know in this that the seed is the good news, the gospel. And the soil is you and me and everybody else. Probably because we are the soil, we spend most of our time thinking about the soil. And to be fair, Jesus explains the soil in the following verses. So it makes sense that we would follow Jesus' explanation. But on this sower, I find this sower to be the most interesting part of this story this parable. There's not a bunch of information here, but what Jesus meant by the actions of the sower are still what we're trying to understand today. And so I've spent some time digging into this and looking at some commentaries the last couple of weeks, and there's three different things that kind of stand out to me. And, and so I, I, I just want to offer them to you and just see what it stirs in us, okay? So the first is, is off this very beginning of it, I'm going to read the verse to you again. As the sower sowed, some, feed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Okay, what does that sound like to you? Like, it sounds like there's a path that has been walked before to me, and the sower is sowing and sows it right on the path and keeps going. It sounds pretty self-explanatory to me. And, and yet there's scholars who are much smarter than me are, are just studying and digging up information on Palestinian farming uh, methods from the first century to understand what this really means. And I mean, digging in, I don't even know how you discover Palestinian farming methods of the first century, but they're doing it. These really smart folks are getting their PhDs, discovering how it is that people farmed because of this verse. And they're like, oh, <laughs> this one guy who's brilliant, I'm not mocking him, he's like, you know what it must be? There must have been like a cut through in a field that had been slightly trampled. And so he put seed down on that slightly trampled part. And, and maybe, he's, he's much smarter than me. 
Other people have discovered that actually at the time, they would sow seed and then till. It, it's a little different than now. I, my understanding is now we till soil and then we put seed down and they would go to the well-worn path and maybe sow some seed and then till the soil and the seed would get buried in the, in the tilling. And so they're like, oh, that, that's what this is. And, and simple me is like, well, it sounds to me like there's a path and the sower is just sowing seed on the path. It, it sounds like that's probably what's going on. And, and these really smart people who are really smart are like, you know, the, this whole thing makes sense because you sow the seed and then you have to go get your tiller. And so before you get the tiller and plug it in or fill the gas tank or whatever you've got to do, they, the birds would come. They were really prompt birds. And, and so that's how this all worked out. And Simple Me reads the story and is like, well, I... I Sounds to me like there's a path, and the sower puts seed down on the path. Reasons are searched for why the sower would sow seeds among not just the path, but also on this, among thistles and thorns. And as you dig into it, it's really about like bad stewardship of the seed. You're wasting the seed if you're putting it among thistles and thorns. Why would it be scattered where it can't be grown? This, this scholar who fascinatingly has the last name Boring wrote, in the first three sowings, prudence and caution seem low on the priority list. And there is a certain lavishness, an indiscriminate sowing bordering on carelessness. Apparently, this carelessness of the sower is what we're trying to avoid. We're not okay with this sower being careless. The sower, at least by the time this parable comes to us, needs to be fairly frugal and wise. The end, it says, and the seed that grows produces 30, 60, 100 fold. Now typical farming in the first century would do four to 10 fold. And so 30, 60, 100 fold, that's miraculous. And so a lot of scholarship has been sent proving that 30, 60, 100 fold could happen in the first century or else the story this parable doesn't quite make sense to us. So they're digging up evidence to find out that 100-fold could happen. And some found situations making Jesus' story more believable that no seed is negligently scattered and no yield is more than could be imagined. And this tamed and dissected parable can be read as a way of self-assessment, and that's good. Assessing ourselves, being honest about ourselves, is something that we need to do. Asking the question, how do I become good soil? That, that's a, a good question. How do I handle evil around, troubles around, anxiety within, in order to produce 
what I expect of myself? Those are good questions, and that's a good, faithful reading, particularly when we look at how Jesus breaks this down to the disciples. It's helpful. Yet I want to give us something else this morning, because I believe when we read this as, as being frugal and wise and all understandable, it changes the very nature of the sower. It changes the character of the sower. In some ways, it changes the goodness of the news. We praise stewardship, and, and we should. We need to be good stewards of what we have. Nikki and I have been talking about how do we reduce waste. It's amazing how quickly we can fill that giant garbage can every single week. Like, how, how can we reduce this? Anna and I even paid money for something to make worms that will eat our stuff. Because we're like, maybe this is a tiny little thing that we can do to, to help. We, we need to do this stuff. We need to use our money more wisely. We, we try really hard to eat every bit of food that we bring in. You know, and you end up with like 75 Tupperwares in your fridge that some of them smell a little different when you open them up. I want to use time well and rest well and be efficient, and we should. We are finite, and our resources are finite. We want to make the most of, of what we have, and that's a faithful way to live. And when we make the sower in our image, then we need the sower to be this way as well. And I believe that changes the good news. See, if you were on the shore that day, you saw Jesus in a boat with the disciples. Like, that's a decent-sized boat. You know, that's not a tiny little canoe. They're in a decent boat, probably a fishing boat, we could guess, because a lot of them are fisher people. And then the shore is just filled with people, and they've got this little natural, uh, natural little auditorium happening, Right? And Jesus is teaching, if you're standing or sitting there on the shore and you're listening to this, this rabbi who's saying radical things, and you're listening to this parable, kind of this new way of teaching or this different way of teaching, of the good news that this sower is scattering seeds everywhere, abundantly, lavishly, wholeheartedly, I imagine the sower is doing this joyfully. They're not like a curmudgeon doing it. They're not angry at the ground as they trample. And they're not negligent. Like this sowing is careful and hopeful. If there were only four seeds, all would have been planted in the good soil and all the irrigation would have been set up and the pH levels would have been checked and all that kind of stuff would have happened. But there was an abundance of seed. And so every bit of soil was given a chance. You see, part of the goodness of this seed is that it's so abundant. If it doesn't take, if the birds eat it, if it gets choked out, it doesn't change the goodness of the seed or the goodness of the sower. We know the goodness of the seed. It can produce a hundredfold. And part of the goodness of the sower is that the sower will go to great lengths to sow the seed everywhere. It's part of what's so good about this story. 
boring road of the certain lavishness of the sower, bordering on carelessness. And when I think of this salvation that we talked about last week, remember we talked about salvation being receiving the, the hased, the loving kindness, the attachment to God, and receiving shalom, this flourishing wholeness of peace in ourselves and in together, that salvation is those things now, present now. When, when I think of that kind of salvation, well, I, I, I want to know that now. And if that's what that seed is, well, that, that sounds like good news, and I want to experience that. But I've often had anxiety try to choke me up. I don't think I'm the only one who've had days or weeks or months or pretty long seasons where I can't shake anxiety. I've been distracted by trouble, and it's shown on my face. You've seen it sometimes when we come in and life circumstances are just feeling too much for me. But the sower isn't negligent. The sower sees. And even when you're anxious, or even when you're distracted, or even when life has trampled you down, the sower brings seed to you. That's beautifully good news to me. I feel like I need to do all of this work to become good soil, and I need to do it on my own, and then I need to produce a hundredfold. That isn't, that isn't me. That's not me who does that. See, continually, day after day, the sower sows good news before us, gives us another opportunity to be rooted in peace, rooted in love. In this parable, I see God as the sower, sowing seed generously in every way possible. And so this week, I tried to pay attention to when moments of of this loving kindness were moments that I experienced. There were moments of this flourishing peace and wholeness were moments that I, I experienced, even for that long, right? And so I paid attention this week. And I felt those moments in different ways. I, I felt them through music. I felt them through reading scripture. I, I felt them in reading a book about a barbershop. I felt them holding Anna while she had tears in her eyes. I felt them when I was on my elliptical, in conversations with friends, thinking of words that Nikki had said previously and then reevaluating them. I, I felt that shalom. I felt that hasad. I felt it in looking at a photo of a national park. And all those just came quickly. And I'm probably not listing 30 of them but had quick moments where this, this salvation was being sowed into me. And they leave me realizing that this sower has been extremely generous to me. And in response, I want to have good soil. I want my life to be good soil. But that's in response. That's not first. It wasn't dependent on me having this level of goodness. In fact, often I get glimpses of salvation, of, 
of this loving kindness, of this peace. Often I get glimpses when I'm most anxious, when I'm most beaten down, when my life is in thorns and thistles, when my soil is packed. But to me, that feels like good news. And so I want to ask you two questions to let you ponder, and then I'm going to pray. So the first question is this. What does thinking of the generosity of the sower do within you? If the sower is that generous, what, what does that mean? Does anything shift or does anything change? And the second question I want to invite you to ponder is who are you joining the sower in being generous towards? Is there a person or a people? Who do you want to, to follow the posture of the sower? and just lavishly and generously care, love, speak peace towards. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your teachings. Thanks for how they can work within us even today. Would you help us recognize that that you you love pretty wildly and the limits that we're so quick to put up to protect ourselves or lift ourselves above others, or whatever reason we do it, those limits aren't yours. And so the limits that we put on ourselves to keep us from your love, would you, would you graciously tear them down? And the ways that you're generously loving others, would you give us the courage to join you? In practical, real, ways. Thanks. In your name.